I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Are you a reality TV junkie? Do you ever think, dang, I wish I had someone to talk to about all the trash TV that I watch? Well, look no further, garbage lover, because Reality Gaze is a podcast for you. Hello, I'm Maddie. And I'm Poodle, and we're the Reality Gaze. We talk about all your favorite unscripted shows like The Golden Bachelor, Love is Blind, and TLC's big, messy behemoth, 90 Day Fiance. And if you're driving to work, folding laundry, or just pretending to listen to your husband talk about sports, just put on the pod, and you've instantly got two gay besties spilling all the tea and reading these people for filth. So come at us, y'all. Find Reality Gaze wherever you listen to podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com Hello, I'm Charlotte Stoddart, and you're listening to the January 2015 edition of the Paediatric Research Podcast. Today, we're tackling the tricky problem of how to determine the right dose of drugs for babies. In a previous episode of the podcast, we talked about placebo effects in children, how little we understand and why it's a difficult thing to study in this young population. Well, paediatricians face a similar problem with drug dosing. Conducting trials in babies is challenging and until recently there's been little incentive for companies to try. So most drug doses for newborns are based on information extrapolated from studies done in adults or older children. A method that's far from ideal, says Duke University's Brian Smith. First of all, the the exposures that babies get with the same relative dose per kilogram as adults uh, may differ because they metabolize the drugs differently. So some drugs are metabolized or excreted by the kidney, and uh, kidney function in babies changes very uh, rapidly over the first days and weeks of life uh, and is not similar to to the way things uh, are excreted in adults. And similarly, with the liver, the enzymes that metabolize drugs are expressed differently in babies relative to adults. Um, and, and so that's sort of the first big reason that you can't just extrapolate the, the adult dose and divide it by 70 kilograms. Um, the second reason is that um, even at the same drug level, so once you show that the drug is at the same level that you get in adults, it may react differently in babies or, or, or children than it does in adults. And, and so those those same levels that are safe and effective in adults may not be in, in children. So either they don't work or maybe they work, but they're not safe. Have you seen the effects of getting the dose wrong firsthand in the clinic? I would say we have. So, um, you know, there's really two ways you can guess wrong with the dose. You can guess too high and you can guess too low. And when you guess too low, you get typically failure of efficacy. 
and certainly one of the drug classes where we've probably guessed too low are antifungals. And so premature babies are at risk for getting candida infections. And for a number of years, neonatologists have used probably too low of doses of some of the antifungals. And um, and then, you know, certainly we, you know, from a clinical standpoint, uh, you know, we don't have a lot of trial data to go on, but often we'll give a baby a drug that maybe has a side effect of hypotension, and certainly you see that effect. And so the next time you give it to the baby, you may cut the dose in half. And that's sort of all you can do for that baby because you just don't have good trial data to say that, you know, the right dose should be higher or lower than it is. But but certainly we see side effects from, from drugs. We'll come back to the antifungal example a bit later because that's something that you studied. But first, if extrapolating from adult studies isn't appropriate, how about conducting studies in newborns? What are the challenges there? Right. So the, the several. Um, so you know, trials are expensive even in adults. So that that's a barrier uh, in babies. And there's not a lot of marketing incentive for drug companies to study uh, drugs in babies. And so they've been relative therapeutic orphans for a large number of years. Both the European Union and the U.S. Food and Drug Administration have had a number of efforts to stimulate drug trials in babies to to make it sort of worth the drug companies time to do the studies and the money to do these studies. And that's actually been very effective at stimulating drugs in children. Babies have sort of been left out of this uh, process, but, but certainly we've had more studies in babies in the last 10 or 15 years than we did, you know, prior to that. Uh, and essentially the, the drug companies get an extension of their patents uh, for doing these trials. So that that's, you know, overcoming sort of that economic barrier. Certainly for on-patent medicines, there is a, a roadmap for that. Um, you know, other problems that you have to overcome when doing trials in babies include, you know, getting consent from parents. So, you know, you're essentially having to tell the parents that we're going to do an experiment on your newborn baby who's probably sick. And, you know, we're going to have to draw blood because you have to measure drug levels in the babies. And that's a difficult sell to parents. Um, you know, babies don't have a lot of blood, you know, relative to adults, and so you can't draw 3 ml, 5 ml samples from a 1 kilogram baby. So let's talk a little bit more about this, this low blood volume problem and, and the difficulty of getting enough samples to do studies in, in babies, because that's what you've um, written about in this paper in Pediatric Research. Tell me a little bit more about um, what you call sparse sampling. Right. So sparse sampling is really where instead of getting one baby with 10 samples, you might get two two or three babies with, you know, two or three or four samples each. And what that does is it minimizes the amount of blood that you need from one baby, which is good. Uh, but it can make the, the mathematics of figuring out the right dose a little bit more tricky. But there are some methods that we have that, that can do that. Um, when you do sparse sampling, a lot of these babies are already getting labs uh, as part of their standard of care, and many times you can time the the PK samples, the drug level samples, with those other lab draws, and so you you avoid having to to poke a baby with a needle to get a sample just for the study. You can just get a little bit of extra blood when you're already getting samples for other reasons. Uh, and again, that makes you know it's good for the baby, but it's also you know good for the parents you know, to, to read that in the consent form and, and know their baby's not getting poked a lot for the study. Uh, so that's sparse sampling. The other, um, with some drugs are fairly stable at room temperature, and many times you can get extra blood that's left over 
from like clinical labs, and, and many times we incorporate that into our protocol. So you might get two or three samples directly from the baby, but then you also might go to the clinical laboratory and get some extra samples you know, that, that were about to be thrown out. And that really is no risk to the baby. Um, you know, that's blood that was already drawn, you know, that you're not having to get just for the study. Uh, so those are some ways to t sort of take advantage of, you know, trying to minimize exposure and risk to, to babies in the study. And that last one is what you call scavenged sampling. That's, that's scavenged sampling. And so sort of combining sparse and scavenged sampling allow us to, to minimize risk of getting samples from babies. And how about uh, this third method that's in the paper, dried blood spot sampling? Sure. So um, laboratories have developed ways to measure blood from whole blood that's dried in a dry blood spot. And essentially all you do is you drop a spot of blood onto a piece of paper, it dries, and you stick that in the freezer. There's no centrifuge, there's no pipetting, and you're able to use essentially a drop of blood, which is usually around 20 or 30 microliters, as opposed to having to collect maybe 100 to 200 microliters of blood spinning that in a centrifuge and throwing half of it away. Um, not all drugs can be collected this way, but certainly uh, it's one way to, to minimize the amount of blood that you, that you need. And also, uh, you might be able to get samples in settings where centrifuging and freezing immediately may not be able to be done. And so you might be able to do a study in a less resource-intensive setting. And which of these methods did you use to look at antimicrobials, antifungal drugs in babies? So the the most of our studies have used the combination of uh, sparse and scavenge plasma sampling. And using those methods, were you able to improve upon uh, the recommended doses of these drugs for babies? Um, we we were so the you know probably the, the two drugs that we certainly I think had the most experience with in clinical trials and in pharmacology trials would be fluconazole and mycofungin, both antifungals. And with both of these drugs, if you just sort of look at the adult dose and div again divide it by seventy, which is sort of the average weight in kilograms of an adult, you get a number uh, a dose that's probably way too low for both of the drugs uh for for different reasons for both drugs the babies tend to metabolize the drugs much faster and and so we, what we found out in the course of the studies that we did with with both drugs uh is that the babies need a higher dose do you have a list of drugs that you'd like to test next um we do one other thing that that we found is that the drug labels often don't reflect the information that's out there in the peer-reviewed literature. And so one thing that we are, you know, looking to, to do is to not have to enroll more babies when the information is already there. We would like for uh, the regulatory authorities to just be made aware of, of data that's already there. And a couple of the drugs that we're, we're working on are caffeine and acyclovir, where there have been trials that have, have been shown in babies for those drugs to be safe and effective, and the latest information is not incorporated in the label. Babies can vary quite a bit in terms of weight and, and general health. Are these methods good enough to distinguish doses, you know, case by case, because each baby is a bit different? So that's that's a great point. Um, so, you know, in, in, a, in a NICU, it's not unusual to have one baby that weighs 500 grams, and in the very next bed space, you have a baby that might weigh four to five kilograms. So there's, you know, a tenfold difference in weight. 
And then the other thing about children is that the variability in exposures once you give the babies a dose. So let's just say that somebody figured out that the right dose for a baby is 10 milligrams per kilogram. You could give every baby in your unit that dose, and if you measure the drug levels, there might be more than a tenfold difference in exposure. There, there are reasons for that. There may be just differences in that that baby's genetics, there may be differences in how ill that baby is, there may be differences in other medicines that that baby's own, and there's really not going to be a good way for us to figure out how to predict those exposures for most medicines. So it's just something for clinicians, I think, to keep in mind is that even though there may be a study that says we think the right dose of a medicine is this in babies, that some babies may have, you know, way higher or way lower exposures just based on some, you know, small differences. Um, but the variability in exposures in babies is much higher than in, in adults, and we see that with sort of drug after drug. That was Brian Smith from Duke University. The paper that Brian has co-authored with Lawrence Koo is online now at nature.com forward slash PR. I'll be back in two months' time with more news from paediatric research. But for now, thanks for listening. I'm Charlotte Stoddart. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Are you a reality TV junkie? Do you ever think, dang, I wish I had someone to talk to about all the trash TV that I watch? Well, look no further, garbage lover, because Reality Gaze is a podcast for you. Hello, I'm Maddie. And I'm Poodle, and we're the Reality Gaze. We talk about all your favorite unscripted shows like The Golden Bachelor, Love is Blind, and TLC's big, messy behemoth, 90 Day Fiance. And if you're driving to work, folding laundry, or just pretending to listen to your husband talk about sports, just put on the pod, and you've instantly got two gay besties spilling all the tea and reading these people for filth. So come at us, y'all. Find Reality Gaze wherever you listen to podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs>